Hi, and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Jim Elliott. And I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And today on the program, we have Paul Sugarman. Hi, Paul. Hi, Jim. Hi, Garrett. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Paul Sugarman is an actor, publisher, writer, and teacher of Shakespeare. He is the founder of the Instant Shakespeare Company, now in its 20th season, which presents annual readings of all of Shakespeare's plays in New York City with over 800 Shakespeare readings performed. Holy moly. He has worked with the Actor Shakespeare Company both as a teaching artist and a performer. For ASC, he has published annotated acting editions of Hamlet, The Merchant of Venice, and The Three Musketeers. In publishing, he worked at Applause Books with John Russell Brown and the publication of Shake Scenes, Shakespeare for Two, and the Applause Shakespeare Library. Also at Applause, he worked with Neil Freeman to publish the Applause First Folio editions and to develop the Applause First Folio of Shakespeare in modern type. He works with Shakespeare on site to bring workshops and performances of Shakespeare anywhere they are needed. So welcome, Paul, and you are just steeped in everything Shakespeare. Yes, I've, I have a serious addiction to Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, it's like meeting one of my heroes. I've had a copy of Shake Scenes in my bookshelf probably since I was an undergraduate. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just uh, helped with getting it finally finished. But yeah, John Russell Brown was such a... I think such an important figure in terms of his ideas about Shakespeare. And, uh, and it's such a great little practical handbook to sort of see how you can just start even with a, with a scene and, and how many different levels you can look at it with, so. Well, let's start by finding out more about the Instant Shakespeare Company. Tell us about that. Okay, well, the Instant Shakespeare Company, we do annual readings of all of Shakespeare's plays. Uh, which we started actually the first season, we, we called it the Applause Shakespeare Marathon. It was when I was still working at Applause Books and actually for a while was the part owner of the bookstore before, before it closed. But uh, we were, wanted to uh, do these new first folio editions by Neil Freeman. And what I was curious as to how it would work to just try doing a reading of the play without rehearsing, just sort of letting the actors know, and maybe even not letting the actors know that far in advance how well it would work, and to see if the sort of idea of why we were publishing the first folio modern type, that there are clues for actors, that if it would really work. So what we did was we decided we'd do the 36 plays in the first folio in 12 days. So <laughs> Wow. Oh my God. That's three a day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a day. And we figured, well, I mean, we've got to keep it moving. We do it at three, six, and nine. So we just did like, it was potentially about nine hours of Shakespeare a day. And that sounds exhausting. <laughs> well, it was in a way, but it was also one of the things that was really wild about it was how invigorating it was. Because just reading the Shakespeare, I mean, it, it just, it gets your juices flowing. In, in sort of a way that I, I hadn't, hadn't really anticipated. And it was just amazing that some of the readings, it just worked so well together. I mean, it, there were some things where it's like, okay, we're gonna do Troilus and Cressida with five people for the reading. <laughs> so everybody was reading many, many roles. But there's just, the, there's the thing of when you get into his language, that the language can just pull you along and really gives you a lot of fuel. And so originally we just sort of were going to do it that time. And then it was just, was so much fun. And there were times when it worked so well that that's why we sort of decided to, to keep it going. So do you do the same format every year where it's 
three days. Oh, no, no, no. We've never done that since the first year. Okay. <laughs> although, although, who knows? Maybe, maybe with, with Zoom, we might, we might try that. But yeah, we're, we're doing them. Uh, what happened after that, after the first year, then I was no longer involved with the bookstore. And so we found, had to find other places. And we found that the, actually the drama bookshop mm -hmm. uh, hosted a number of readings in the second season when they had the, when they just moved to where they're not anymore, but where they had the <laughs> space down there, the Arthur Seelman Theater. And, uh, and then also the New York Public Libraries. And that's pretty oh. much the main place we've been is that we go to various branches and we do about maybe one a month or one every two months at, at like, we're about 10 branches now where we do them on Saturday afternoons generally. So who's invited? Uh, it, everyone. <laughs> Shakespeare for everyone is, is, is like our motto for the Instant Shakespeare Company, which uh, sort of, I mean, comes out of uh, our feeling that, that really, that Shakespeare is accessible to everyone if you get a chance to just really experience it and, and hear it and speak it live. And uh, I see it as somewhat that it's, that it's really about freeing people's voice to be able to express themselves through Shakespeare. And, and just to appreciate how well he put things. The, the thing that bothers me about some Shakespearean productions I see is that you have a director who's like, this is my idea for this production. And so you have a play that is about one idea, whereas Shakespeare has so many different ideas in like even a few lines, you know? And, and so that, that variety and richness, they, they, you need to be open to it. And, and so that's, why it's really about the actors, the text, and the audience. Well, I think that's one of the things that I like about readings is particularly if you have skilled actors, and we'll get to that with Instant Shakespeare, but when you have skilled actors who are reading the text in a, sitting around in a room, you, that allows the audience to pick and choose what they get from it as opposed to sort of sledgehammering, this is what I think this, this play is about. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's also, I mean, that one of the things about doing plays over and over is that you see that it's never the same, that it's so much, I mean, that, the, that who you are and who you bring to your reading really changes the possibilities of what the character can be. And uh, that's, that's one of the things why I, I still, you know, after 20 years, I'm, I'm <laughs> I have fun doing it. So. Well, I also, I, I have found personally that my relationship to Shakespeare changes as I age and as I go through life's, you know, the seven ages of man, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, this, we only do audio, but if you could see Jim now, he's, he's bearded like the pard these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, we're recording this in April of 2020, early April. So we're just about a month, almost a month into the, um, you know, the social distancing. Uh, in response to the COVID crisis. Hopefully when we listen to this interview years from now, this will seem quaint, but this is where we are in this, in this time. And how is the Instant Shakespeare Company adapting to this new environment? Well, we're trying to see how it will work through Zoom. We're actually this Saturday, we're gonna be doing our first reading via Zoom. I've, I've watched a few online because a lot of people are, are doing them at this point, which is a good thing because it's a way to do it. But yeah, we do, I mean, a number of the playmasters, uh, the people who are putting together the individual readings have indicated that ones that we had scheduled now, they wanna postpone so we can actually get together and do it live, which is our preference. But uh, 
But oh. for the time being, we want to do it to keep it going. So, so we're going to try doing some some readings via Zoom. Well, what I was kind of fishing for was maybe if if there's a forthcoming little video tutorial about how to create your own instant Shakespeare company reading online, we could direct listeners to that as a resource. Maybe that's something oh, for the future. Wow. That would be good, and that that's the thing. I mean, that was interesting. We had just a sort of little meeting last week where we didn't actually do a reading, but just had some people who'd been part of it. And we had one of our, our actors uh, had kind of, was from England where he's, where he's moved back to and another couple of people from Texas. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, this may be a new way to, uh, to, to keep it out there. Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> Shakespeare from all over the world. Yeah. So, in the twenty years of its existence, has Instant Shakespeare Company spawned any any imitators around the world or any franchisees? I, I guess imitators is not the word I'm looking for. What am I looking for, Jim? Any spinoffs? Children. Children. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, other people do have done Shakespeare readings, and I, I've tried to a few times. I mean, there there've been certain members who were like, well, I've got some, a group together and we want to do a reading. And, and so I, I can like uh, get them scripts and, and, and stuff and have them do it. But uh, I'm not, not aware that, that too many other, other places that set it up is an ongoing trying to do all of the plays. But, but it, is, it is fun to do all of the plays. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in, in all of them even the ones that I get a little tired of. <laughs> right, right, right. So, Paul, uh, you've been doing this for 20 years, and there's 36 Shakespeare plays, some of which are better than others. What play has surprised you the most in terms of its uh, engagement with the audience in your readings? Well, it's, they're, they're, it's funny that different ones can, can attract, can, can do it at different times. I mean, one of the ones that's, that sometimes has surprised me is Time of Athens, because there is, it's, it's always like I was looking at the Folger <laughs> thing of like the, how, how, which are their best selling plays and which are their least. And that is always like at the bottom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, but, but there's just such some, some really wonderful stuff in it. I mean, consistently, one of the ones that I've found the most engaging and interesting is, is Merchant of Venice. It's, it's interesting because there's a, people have an interest in it and it's one where we a lot of times have more people come out for that one. I mean, and also I've, I've found personally that Shylock is just a character who's really so fascinating because, I mean, that he's just sort of on the cusp of sort of, I mean, hero and villain. And I mean, that, that there, there's both, there's that sort of, I, I find him a very, very human character and, and how much he can be different depending on, on who's doing it. And, and oh, yeah. That's, re that's really interesting. Absolutely. When you're doing these, do you use first folio text? Yes. Okay. And yes. so why do you think it's important to look at Shakespeare's folio and the first texts there? Well, I think that, I, I don't know how instant Shakespeare would work without the first folio because there are a lot of clues in the text for actors. And I mean, that was one of the things when I first found out about the first folio. Um, it, was, it was just amazing to me how much we didn't have a sense of, of how many things have been changed by editors in order to give us the Shakespeare we have now with the nice uh, regular verse lines and things. And one of the things that I found most, most useful about the folio is the capitalization. 
I mean, the way that it uses capitalization, and this is also one of the okay. things different in the folio from, from the quartos, where it sort of tells you this is a word to highlight. Like in the uh, Julius Caesar, Mark Antony speech, I mean, honorable. Every time he talks about honorable with Brutus, it's capitalized. And if you keep hitting that, that really just makes the speech work. And so that's, that's how I find it useful. There are also things where it can be very difficult for people because the spelling can be all over the place. I mean, and, uh, and also there are a lot of times they'll put E's at the end of words where you don't really need the E sound. Like uh, I have a suit unto your lordship and then suit is spelled with an E at the end. And so somebody's reading along without having, I have a suite unto your lordship. You know? right. And right. So that's, that's probably the most common mistake that we come up with from reading the folio. But I think that it's more than balanced out with the clues you get from the capitalization and the punctuation that help to highlight what it's about. So now that's, that's my next question. When you developed the applause first folio of, in modern type, did you take out the E's at the ends of words? Did you take out the capitalization or did you keep that? No, we kept it. I mean, the, um, the applause first folio in modern type, uh, which is, it is available as a single volume and there are also 36 individual uh, scripts because what we started with Neil Freeman, who first got me uh, excited about the first folio, taught a seminar at Shakespeare and Company, and that's when I first learned about it. And he was doing, he basically himself published a, a book about Shakespeare's first texts and did his own sort of folio text that he would sell. It seemed to me that it would be great to, to do them, to publish them more widely as a series and in which, and in those, in each of the ones, it's got like the, the notes on, uh, on what the variations between quartos are and also what, what modern ones have changed. And, and it also highlights the, the differences like everything uh, that ends with a, a period um, that, uh, that then he has sort of a line break to show what a significant piece of punctuation that is. And then for the, the single volume edition, we have a lot less of those notes, but it's basically the, the folio in modern type, because one of the things about looking at a facsimile of the folio is that the S's, a lot of the S's look like F's, the I's and J's are reversed and the U's and V's are reversed. Uh, so basically, I mean, we're retaining the original spelling, keeping the final E's. It's just, it's the, the modern type so that you can read it. So when you get to a line like he's as gentle as a sucking lamb, you don't, you don't uh, end up with a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that maybe is a great segue into the piece of text that you've chosen to share with us today, which is from King Lear, Act 2, Scene 2. It's Kent's speech. Um, they're sort of, bro it's a, a broken speech, but Kent is addressing Oswald. Can you tell us what's going on in this bit of text? Yeah, well, this is this is in Act Two after Kent is now disguised as Caius, and he's been with Lear at at Goneril, and and he's going as a messenger because Lear wants to go and stay with his other daughter Regan, and and Oswald is this servant of Goneril's who's gone ahead to from from Goneril to. Uh, to warn uh, Regan about him. And Kent had already uh, doesn't like Oswald. He had a brief thing where he tripped him earlier. So, That's right. That's right. Uh, so this is it. And so they're both like two 
two rival messengers meeting and actually Kenny's gotten there first. So, so Oswald just assumes he's a servant and asks him to help. But Kent is, Kent is actually from the aristocracy and Oswald is also what's known as a... Uh, a steward. Yeah. So Oswald is known as a steward and Shakespeare loves to skewer stewards. <laughs> yes. Well, let's read this. And Jim, would you like to read the Oswald part? <laughs> uh, having played Oswald, I would love to read Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here is King Lear, Act 2, Scene 2. It starts with Kent's line. Hello, I know thee. What dost thou know me for? A knave, a rascal, an eater of broken meats. A base, proud, shallow, beggarly, three-suited, filthy, worsted stocking knave. A lily-livered, action-taking, horse glass-gazing, super-serviceable, finical rogue. One trunk-inheriting slave. One that would be a bawd in the way of good service. Enter nothing but the composition of a knave, beggar, coward, pander, and the son and heir of a mongrel bitch whom I will beat into clamorous whining if thou deniest the least syllable of thy addition. Why, what a monstrous fellow art thou, thus to rail on one that is neither known of thee nor knows thee. Oh, what a brazen-faced varlet art thou to deny thou knowest me. Is it two days since I tripped up thy heels and beat thee before the king? Draw, you rogue, for though it be night, yet the moon shines. I'll make a sop of the moonshine of you, you horson, cullenly barbermonger draw. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Thank you, Paul. I, I think it's really fascinating that you chose this speech of all to, I mean, I know you made some other suggestions, but this was your first suggestion. And so what about this speech draws you? I mean, it's the it's the, the the vehemence of it. I think. I mean, it's just so great. I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, various Shakespearean insults, but I think this is pretty much the ultimate <laughs> insult speech in Shakespeare. I mean, there there are other there are other good ones as well, but but this one, it just. I mean, just the the sort of the way that the the, the images and the words together play off each other so well, and and really that they it can be used. So aggressively. And, and I mean, I think that it also connects to me in terms of the idea of being able to express things through Shakespeare, that, that we all have times when we, we, we feel frustrations and frustrations with other people and, and want to say things about it. It's like, you cut me off, you jerk, you know? And I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so, much, um, so much richness and, and it, it can give you a... a, a it, it, a sort of a, a catharsis just by sort of saying it, by being able to like imagine the person who you would like to say this to and, and just saying it. I mean, I mean, I think it gives you something, which is the whole idea of why, I mean, with, uh, with instant Shakespeare, with Shakespeare for everyone, we also like to encourage people to, to, to be part of the readings as well, you know, who, who may not be as familiar with it because it's so, I mean, I guess probably why I've kept doing it for 20 years is because it's, it's addicting to be able to, to speak this language. And, and I just think that this is such a, such a wonderful example of, of just, I mean, sometimes the way that Shakespeare uses lists is, is a lot of fun of, of putting yep. the various pieces together. And just that it really gives you a chance to, to fully express this, this <laughs> anger. <laughs> right. Well, I think, 
I think you just compared Kent to having road rage. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, that's what it is. You know, I mean, here it is. They both arrived at the same place. Kent got there first, and Oswald ties to take priority over him. So, in a certain way, <laughs> yes, the earliest expression of road rage. <laughs> well, some of these insults are—they're so rich. And but, what do they mean? I, we, there are probably thirty insults in here, and maybe yeah. half of them I understand at first reading. But the, the other ones that I had to look up are so great. What? <laughs> what are some of your favorites? Well, I I think the the super serviceable finical rogue. Okay, I mean, finical is not a word you come across every day. And super yeah. serviceable, what does that mean? Well, that th- he's just so. Vicious. I mean, he's such a steward. I mean, that's, that's again, really, really taking a, a stab at these sort of like servants who like to make so much of themselves. You know, he's super serviceable. And just, yeah, all of these, these sorts of things where in a way that if you get a few of them, you, you can kind of like get the gist of it. Because yeah, like, like three suited, hundred pound worsted stocking. Those are all things that sort of were expressions that were known then that we, we don't know now. But they give you, I mean, the, the sense that, that he really knows this guy and he knows all of these little things that so bother him about him that he's listing them all. I like that in, you know, I think there are in certain cultural places in this day and age, there's an art to the insult, right? Yeah. And, you know, like there, when we were growing up, it was like your mother wears combat boot kind of jokes, right? Those kind of uh, insulting jokes. So I think Shakespeare is doing this. I mean, I think he is really like taking insults to a new level, some of which like you can use today. For instance, the one trunk inheriting slave, I think plays today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could almost see hip hop artists doing this <laughs> towards each other. Well, I was looking them up. One of my favorites is "Eater of Broken Meats." And there's some, oh yeah, there's some variation on the interpretation of this, but some of the interpreters said that that has to do with eating of leftovers, and that after a great feast, often the rich host would leave the table scraps outside for the poor to gather. And so there's, there's one interpretation. The, it, the implication is that Oswald is very low class. And the other interpretation is that, is that in the connotation of uh, eating someone's leftovers, there are obvious body connotations there. Oh. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. Because yeah, it is, I mean, a lot of them go between sort of like, you think you're so big, you're nothing. You know, you've got three suits. You know, I mean, mm. worsted stocking. You're, you don't have nice stockings. You've got the worsted, I mean, the, the cheap stockings. So, <laughs> yeah. Garrett, you have a lot to say about one phrase that, that you really, that really struck you. Yeah, from an acting standpoint, one thing really jumps out to me, and it's this insult here. A lily-livered, action-taking knave, which if you break it down, it's perfect iambic pentameter. Of course, it's broken across the lines, but it's this one perfectly crystallized line of verse within, I'm trying to articulate this, but the image that comes to mind is of somebody who's really struggling to fit his speech into verse, but because he has so many insults to cram into such a tiny space that the lines of verse keep bursting at the seams. And it's one digression after another, as if he has to elaborate on insult after insult and never quite gets back to the verse. 
And the image I have in my head is sort of, I can, I can imagine John Cleese delivering this with great relish, almost as if Basil Fawlty <laughs> is, is going off on Manuel. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, have you ever seen the BBC Shakespeare where he did The Taming of the Shrew, where he did Petruchio? No. There's in the BBC series, when they did all of the plays, Jonathan Miller directed a number of them, and he directed uh, Taming of the Shrew with John Cleese's Petruchio. Oh, my God. Actually, yeah, a lot of fun. And that's the other thing about Shakespeare, and this thing is so great, is that it's vitriolic, but it's also, I mean, it, there's a lot of humor in it, too, you know? And mm. that's, that's the thing, one of the things I think that you did get from reading Shakespeare aloud and reading it in person is, is how funny it is and how much humor there is. And I think that sort of tradition of English humor is like carried on through Monty Python and things like that. In this yeah, the, the French, the Frenchman. Ah, yes. <laughs> in, the, in the castle. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, Garrett, you brought it up in Faulty Towers, but it just made me realize how like Monty Python carries this kind of insult to this day and age. Well, Paul, Jim and I want to commend you for everything that you that you've done with Instant Shakespeare Company. I really love the ethos behind it, which is that Shakespeare is for everyone. And that in a very practical way, you're facilitating that by hosting these readings that are open to everyone. They're happening with great frequency and 10 libraries all over New York. And it really is a, it really is a wonderful service. And we're so glad that you're doing it. We're so glad that you we're generous with your time in talking with us today. Well, th thank you uh, very much. I'm, I'm glad to let people know about it and I'm happy. I, I really like your idea of like putting together something to uh, encourage people to do their own readings because I think that there is, I, I really feel that, that Shakespeare is empowering and that by speaking his language, you really can get access to, to, to all the power that we have inside us. So. I love that. That's a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. That's great. And thank you for joining us here on The State of Shakespeare. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm Jim Elliott. And I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare.